Hello and welcome to The Lodgecast, a nature and wildlife podcast brought to you by The Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Eva Bishop. Each month we'll be bringing you the latest news from The Beaver Trust as we start to welcome beavers back to our rivers, to restore our countryside and create resilient landscapes. And we'll also explore the state of nature in the UK and speak to fascinating experts and inspiring individuals along the way. This week we're chatting about climate change and we're joined by none other than Simon Reeve. Well, Eva, hello. Hello, Sophie. Been a while. So nice to see you again. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How's it going? Yeah, glad to be back, actually. It was a lovely break, but it's good to be back. And I'm really looking forward to this year. It's going to be beaver-tastic. It really is. I hope there will be beaver, beaver everywhere, if that's a phrase. <laughs> uh, and, it is now. Uh, and then some. <laughs> yeah, uh, if, we, if 2020 is anything to go by, I suspect it's going to be a busy one, but um, pretty good in places. In places. <laughs> good. <laughs> Right, well, on that note, uh, let's get stuck in. So as Beaver Trust, of course, we do love a beaver, but importantly, we're not all about the beavers, are we? Um, We like to tackle the big environmental questions on this podcast, and boy, there are a lot of those. (laughs) And as beavers are increasingly being seen as a great natural solution for creating long-term resilience in a landscape, the topic for this episode is, wait for it, the big old fat, ugly C word, climate change. Yes, it feels a really complex subject, doesn't it? It's so big and so all-consuming and it can feel really overwhelming. Um, Bottom line is the carbon emissions are still rising, right? And we are facing, you know, two to four degrees of global heating, which is going to create a pretty um, unimaginable world. But The key to remember, really, is that you don't have to know the details of the science and get bogged down in that debate to be part of the solution. And we need everyone to be part of the solution, don't we? Yeah, totally. And I think that's a really nice way to look at it because climate change, well, I mean, it's in the name, isn't it? It's an enormous change. And I think the fact that we don't know what that's really going to look like is quite daunting. And I personally, I mean, my family rip it out of me all the time that I'm famously resistant to change, whether it's a change in routine or the change in the way my curtains are closed. I just have a real problem with it. So I think... A creature of habit, not unlike a beaver. A creature of habit. I know, (laughs) exactly. So I think the whole notion of climate change and a change to our whole planet is really, really scary. So I think it's really important to um, understand a bit about it and look at the ways that we can look at it more positively so that we don't get all gloomy. Yeah, completely. So so the youth who are pretty much leading on climate at the moment are calling it an emergency for good reason. But that can also trigger our the human capacity to rationalise things, to cope with it. Mm. And that will mm. distract us from doing something about it. And we really need to do more about this. Everyone does. And it's everyone's problem. It's systemic. And we need, yeah, we need to take some action. But um, so for anyone who isn't up to speed on it, and let's face it, that's probably most of us. Do you want to give us a couple of examples of the science out there, Sophie, to illuminate the sort of scale of the problem? Yes, please. So I've been doing a little bit of digging and we all know that climate change can be bad news. But um, hold on to your hats because these facts might blow your mind a little bit. So Greenland ice sheet is a big one. It's famous for having lots and lots of ice. 
This ice sheet has lost 3.8 trillion tonnes of ice between 1992 and 2018. Now these figures come from the rather reliable sources of NASA and the European Space Agency. So I'm wow. rather inclined to trust these guys. Yeah. So 3.8 trillion. What does that mean though? What does that look like? Well, it this is the crazy bit. So that's the same as losing the water from 120 million Olympic swimming pools to the ocean every year for, wait for it, 26 years. 120 oh million Olympic swimming pools to the ocean every year for 26 years. Yeah, Crazy. that's a lot of water. So the natural step is, what, what impact does that have on our sea levels? Because you'd think oceans are pretty big, they take up most of the planet's surface. But is that having an impact? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. So 50% of this melting um, is directly related to warm air temperatures, thanks to fossil fuels. So that's getting in our cars, flying planes around, cargo ships, even sending an email can generate carbon emissions, which is just a little bit mind blowing. Um, and all of this melting raised the global sea level by 11 millimetres. So if we think of the ocean, or the global sea level as like a bath, a giant bathtub, raised it by 11 millimetres. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but when it's the entire planet, that's pretty crazy. And the, the crazier thing is, is that the rest of the Greenland ice sheet has a further potential 7.4 metres of sea level raising to do. So it's not over yet. Wow. And beyond that, actually, the figure that I used to hear when I was um, working in climate many years ago, actually, was that once you get that 7.4 metres of sea level rising, you, you start to um, lift the Antarctic ice sheet as well, which is another 7.4 or oh, beyond metres. So it's a good thing we all enjoy swimming. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, silver lining. it's not a joke. Every it's cloud. Not a joke. <laughs> no. But seriously, um, <laughs> it is, I don't know, you've got, you've got to find some lightheartedness to it because it's a deeply emotional subject. And um, the concept of eco-anxiety and the various emotions that can be triggered and there could be anything when you talk about climate change and properly think about it it's it's such a mm. huge subject that's something that we want to tackle in um, one of our next podcasts so do keep an eye on that because um there's a lot to talk about and it's going to affect everyone in different ways but it's it's really interesting to to think about yeah um eva i want to play devil's advocate here as beaver trust employee and beaver lover where on earth do beavers fit in here? What in, in this huge, great, big, ugly, dirty problem of climate change? Why is there so much chatter about a rodent in a river? How on earth does that relate to climate change? Well, it's a really inc interesting question because, um, and there's a practical side to it, beavers do some brilliant things to tackle the ecological emergency. But there's also a more holistic view. So Climate change is about nature and we are nature and we've got an urgent need for bold action and nature restoration doesn't come more sustainably than well-managed beaver reintroduction. So they offer a genuine vision that brings hope in our sort of fight mm. against the climate and ecological emergency. So they're really, really actually um, a lovely example of how we can tackle climate change. Anyway. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But I think it's time for our fact off. Oh, yes. 
Well, this happens every episode, hopefully you're a bit more used to it by now, where Eva and I pit some of our favourite beaver facts against each other and battle it out to see who has the best fact. And then we let you, the listener, and our episode guest decide the winner. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it this week. Good. Well, you better bring the goods, mate, because I've got a good one. Right, well, I'm going to kick off with kidneys, Eva. What on earth have kidneys got to do with beavers? Well, I'll tell you. Um, Stirling University in Scotland were looking at beavers on the Tay side over a period of 12 years. And during those 12 years, local plant richness, so basically how many plants were in the area, how many different species, rose by 46%. And the total number of different plants recorded more than doubled. And one of the researchers beautifully described the wetlands created as the kidneys of the landscape. So there you go. Oh, that's really nice. Kidneys. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that was a powerful one. I like that. 50% powerful increase in plant richness. That is nice. I mean, that's that's an example number one of how it tackles the ecological emergency. Pretty nice. Um, Mm -hmm. So I am going to introduce a bit of Odo Natter, if you will, um, talking (laughs) about dragon and damselflies. So I've got a really lovely um, fact here for our fact off that highlights the ecological boom brought about by beaver wetlands. So there was a West German study uh, with a control stream and a beaver managed stream wetland. And in the Mm -hmm. beaver managed wetland, they recorded 27 species of dragon and damselfly um, versus the control site where they found four. Okay, okay, that was pretty good. And it's not unique to dragon and damselflies, is it? This happens across the board with biodiversity. So it's a pretty nice sort of biodiversity boom example. It is, and there is nothing nicer than heading down to the river and seeing a dragonfly or a damselfly. So I will will give you that. It's a nice fact, but we shall... uh... It's all, we'll bit, see. It's all we'll a bit see. supportive, isn't it, this, this month's fact off? <laughs> Damn echo chamber. <laughs> We're going to put it to Simon later, but listeners, we want to hear from you. Let us know on social Yay. media who you think should win this week. Then don't forget to use the hashtag fact off and tag us at Beaver Trust, or we won't know. Indeed. So, uh, and on that note, I think it's time we bring in our special guest for the episode. Yes, he may be better known for his journalism and travel documentaries, but Simon Reeve appeared on screen this year alongside Chris Jones, Beaver Trust Director of Restoration, when he visited Woodland Valley Farm in Cornwall to see beavers for himself. Yes, he is a new beaver champion. Perfect for the Lodgecast. So, Simon Reeve, welcome to the Lodgecast. It's brilliant to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for your patience as I muppetly attempted to connect to this chat. So before we get started, Simon, you've heard our beaver facts. Now, could you please, once and for all, settle the argument for me and Eva? What's it going to be? Damselflies or kidneys? Well, this is is very hard to to judge, um, but rising... To the challenge, I am going with Sophie's factoid, um, which uh, was delivered while stretching, which I thought was also quite good. Right, yeah, that's a bad habit. I do think it's quite, I do think it's really good because one of the things that I have learned about beavers, correct me if I'm wrong, oh, holy experts, is that they bring back not just 
one particular species, important as the damselfly of Berlin is, they bring back a whole host of, of life, an orchestra of life, in fact, as I believe a, a bloke called Chris Jones, what you might know, has, has described it as. And the fact they bring back so many plants, I think, is part of their absolute brilliance. Well, I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted. Bottom-up approach. I like it. Yeah, your face was partly obscured then by an email coming in telling me that a bird feeder is on the way. Uh, Stand by for any (laughs) more incredible factoids. (laughs) Um, We want to start by just asking you what you've been up to in lockdown, really. It's been a pretty restrictive year for you, I guess, compared to your normal travels. Um, So how have you filled the time? Uh, Going a bit mad. Um, doing a bit of work, filming in Cornwall, working on a book, um, attempting to plot and plan how it might be possible to travel in South America and realising week by week that's not going to happen, playing an awful amount of football, looking after son, two dogs, two cats, uh, and uh, generally trying to stay as sane as possible. So, I mean, you're so well-travelled and for someone who's had such a rich experience of the planet and communities and people, how did it feel seeing something so seemingly dull as a rodent scrubbing around in the mud? How did, it, how did this compare to all of your experiences that you've had? Oh, you're massively underplaying it. Um, <laughs> for humour, of course. Um, <laughs> Damn it. So it was absolutely spectacular. And, you know, I don't want to get too carried away by it. But I think, you know, it's, it's very, I mean, I'm sure you've got a tongue slightly in the cheek. Obviously, I'm not a beaver expert. I am just uh, a, a muppet trying to learn about them. But I think what, I, what Chris taught me and what I read up about and what I learned and what I saw gave me such an immense amount of hope for biodiversity in this country that we might possibly be able to claw uh, and gnaw some of it back with the help of beavers. I mean, they are such transformational animals. So I went knowing some of that, but nothing quite prepares you for your sort of encounter with what you've been learning about. It doesn't prepare you for your encounter with the um, wonderfully uh, a surprising native creature that is Chris Jones as well, who's then got a whole load more of <laughs> Very facts true. and stats and, and just passion and love to share with with beavers and about the landscape. So the whole experience was completely up there with uh, wildlife experiences I've had in anywhere in the world, quite frankly. And yes, of course, I've been to more obviously exotic far-flung places but I think the fact that it's close to home because I live in Devon the fact that I know this island these islands are so denuded of of um of wildlife and biodiversity the issues here are so massive and so extreme that an encounter with even a little rodenty creature scrabbling in the mud um (laughs) would be a cause for celebration but a beaver is so much more than Uh, even I understand and I think even you know the vast vast majority of the public in this country understand them to be well I don't think we need to ask anything else no that's the end of the podcast I'm off then I'm gonna go get some biscuits (laughs) but um yeah yeah, it was the the experience was brilliant and um 
Uh, my God, it's an absolutely standout experience, um, not just for the summer of 2020 for me, but of recent years. But um, I just, I love the fact, I think more than anything, of learning that if there is one creature, one creature that can make such a massive difference to biodiversity in, in the UK, is, it is the beaver. And I think really, I'm sorry to diss your fact, Eva, but you know, I think Sophie's <laughs> factoid about how the extraordinary resurgence of life across the across the spectrum when it came to plants there what was it 40 percent 40 46 percent yeah you know that's that's a that's a hell of a revival it's not i mean of course it's important in this country in my view that we protect uh an individual species that is that is facing a great threat but i feel that the issues we're facing globally and in the uk as well they are they've moved far beyond us just looking after individual creatures we need um whole ecosystem protections we need such a massive and dramatic increase in regulations and laws to target and go after people who are damaging that i was just reading about these attempts to bring in a crime of ecocide um which i'm Mm. personally hugely in favor of even though a lot of people think it's Mm. a flight of fancy uh it could never happen it could do we can change things we can claw back what we all what we all love and what we all need to protect but so yes beavers they completely completely and and facts aside that is what's so special about beavers and the the dragonflies are one example of it a great one <laughs> yeah don't, you can't make it up now delighted. <laughs> the damage is done simon so uh, <laughs> Given the state of nature that we've just discussed and indicators looking so grim, does it frustrate you at all that conversations like getting beavers back is such an arduous process in Britain? We know so much about it. The science is done. Um, now, surely time has come to get on with it. Um, so I think there's some people feel a great sense of frustration. Do you, what, what, what's your view on that, the progress in Britain? Um, well, I, I think it is just worth recapping to what you said initially there about given what we know about the state of the environment and and conservation, because forgive me for saying, I'm still not convinced that enough people really understand, um, even those who who kind of know it and read it, I, I still feel like they don't fully get the impact of the apocalypse that is happening on, on planet Earth. And I think for me as a... Um, you know, somebody who's who's had the privilege and the massive responsibility of travelling around this planet. I've been, you know, to so many different corners and, and niches of it, if you like. And I have seen, I think, more than most, perhaps, what seven billion human beings are capable of doing to the world. And we're an extraordinary creature. And I love us. I still do. But my God, we destroy and we crush and we are annihilating, as I say, just everything that is beautiful and special about the planet and it threatens us so fundamentally. So I think I would suggest that we start from a position of much more concern, much greater anger, frankly, not irritation or concern, but fury and, and, and panic um, about the, the crisis, the apocalypse, all those sort of words that we should be using. So yes, obviously, um, making a telly documentary it's beholden on me to try and find lots of balance and 
try and understand all sides in a debate. But as a human being and as somebody who cares about living in a country that's beautiful and biodiverse and interesting, my God, we need beavers back today, tomorrow, every hour, every day, okay. every week that is wasted is is a is not just uh, a day lost it's a slide down a slippery exponential slope towards the most dire and depressing of of futures and and beavers are a really critical way of us clawing our way back i mean i think in in, in fairness you know i think there has been some surprise you tell me otherwise but i think there's been a bit of surprise oh my goodness right great so government ministers are saying you know, they're still sticking to this idea. They still seem to believe in beavers. They're saying farmers mm. could be compensated um, potentially for having them on their land, such as the incredible environmental benefits they can bring. But I suppose fundamentally, I think the goalposts, the parameters need to be moved from where they are at the moment, which is endless multi-year discussions about things to a much more aggressive response to um, the conflict level world war ii level catastrophe that we are in and so i think there's mm. exceptionally strong evidence for the benefits of beavers and it is beholden on all of us to aggressively assertively fight um and push for their immediate return and reintroduction in in, in large-scale projects i mean i think we just have to react to the evidence that's there and the scale of the catastrophe mm. sorry for the long answer but amen to that yeah lovely answer thank you no it's really um, and we couldn't agree more obviously and the, the the shift that beavers allow is the systemic approach to conservation that you've just been talking about and that's what we really need you know individuals in my view i'm sorry i'm gonna i've had several um large cups of tea so i'm slightly buzzing with the caffeine. <laughs> but I, I really believe in this and i am really worried i used to study terrorism i've been on front lines in conflicts around the world uh, you know, I don't have, I have, I would claim I have a fairly good understanding of um, risks and threats. And I would absolutely put uh, our climate emergency and our biodiversity apocalypse as the very top of the concerns that humans should have at the moment. So how do we react to that? Well, at the moment, we're talking about get, putting back one beaver at a time, mm. etc. You know, in Idaho, Let's remember what they did there. I'm not suggesting it was the most successful plan, but it was a big-scale American plan in the 1950s, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, to reintroduce beavers. <laughs> they bloody parachuted beavers out of aeroplanes in large numbers. I mean, that's the, the sort of much bigger-scale thinking where I think our parameters and goalposts need to shift. Rally the troops. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Troops. So mo moving on slightly to, to the angle that you just touched on there, about humans trashing the planet <laughs> and we're wondering whether you, you could um, talk about the value how you see the value of nature hitting the headlines a little bit more this year and our connection with nature um, and whether there are any examples that stand out for you of communities that have managed to achieve and, and keep retain their harmonious relationship with the land because we've lost that a little bit in this country haven't we <laughs> yeah what an interesting question and and so fundamental isn't it I mean, it's a very 2020 question and i hope it's still a 2021 and 2022 thought as well because i think a lot of people yes absolutely have hopefully rediscovered the importance of the wild and wildlife and a simple walk and engaging 
with the outdoors during this year. And I hope to goodness they keep that. I really do. Um, I, 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 I don't know what the new normal will be post um, pandemic. I don't know what the new normal will be next week, next month, next year, but I would say a little prayer to um, uh, goddess, mother nature, mother earth to, for us to keep that absolute connection in our, in our hearts and our lives. Because I think for many people it has been the bedrock of their emotional and mental health this this year i think we knew already that being in wildlife um, near wildlife among trees um among mother nature is a is a profound emotional and uh, mental benefit to to people we know that there are there are endless studies that have shown that i mean speaking from personal experience i know that um when life was in, extremely dark for me when i was um, quite a bit younger, admittedly, but when I was on the dole, when I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with my life, the simple act of, of going for a walk in nature was, was profoundly re- restorative to me. Absolutely. So I hope that that knowledge stays with us. What communities have I found who, who best hold that um, connection and most successfully? I think for me, because I've spent a lot of time traveling in uh, poorer parts of the world. I immediately think of communities where travel has actually been a benefit and where they have received a sort of economic incentive from the arrival of tourists and travellers to protect wildlife and wild areas that we would all, all, value, all, all value. And I think one in particular is um, conservancy areas of uh, the Maasai Mara in Kenya, which uh, I think is an absolute uh, Garden of Eden, actually, I would say, as close to the Garden of Eden as anywhere I've been uh, in the world. And in areas like that where visiting is expensive, definitely it's a big life event to go there. And so it should be because you're stepping into something extraordinary in every way. But the uh, local communities there, the Maasai have... Um, done deals essentially with conservancy owners who employ locals, who train locals, who plough money back into the communities. The culture is respected. There is an, uh, an income given and gifted to support villages and with thousands and thousands of people in them. But as a result, the local community protects the sort of animals that we in Britain, remember, killed off hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So. I think that's one area where recognising the economic importance of of wildlife often, recognising the benefits of it and recognising that communities need to feel tangible benefits as well, particularly in poorer parts of the world, has been a huge success. Is that a fair answer to your question? It's certainly an interesting one. (laughs) Where are you thinking of? Give give me an example. I'm always keen to hear where people think this is really working. I wasn't thinking of anything in particular, um, no expectation, because I think you probably travelled far more extensively than I even realised. But um, one of the some of the examples that often come up in some of the climate literature that I read um, are the indigenous people of South America, for example. Um, you know, they're in they're really, really into intrinsic connection to the land for survival as well as um, their you know their deeper appreciation of being part of nature. Yeah. 
shines out but um you know i wasn't I think it's have also people who are resourceful as well and just make the most of what's immediately available to them and to have amazing wacky innovative ideas of how to use natural materials and how to just eat seasonally and not have a 24 7 globalized diet of strawberries in december and things and you know just have just different expectations of what and just using what the land is offering to them at any one time and thinking of cool ways to use it i think is just better in every way and um simon going back to what you said about how you hope that people will cling to the newfound respect or rediscovered respect and love for nature that we've found during lockdown do you have faith in humanity that we will do that or do you worry that we might revert what do you what do you worry about massive, massive question just a tiny little question there yeah <laughs> bring it on bring it on um i think i have a i have an enormous faith and belief and and love um i hope that doesn't sound too pompous but in in humanity um i think my concern is about the sort of structures that we've created to govern and rule us and whether democracies actually um, certainly modern sort of consumer democracies are frankly capable of guiding us thinking long term protecting what really matters and not just giving us what we want in the short term and the strawberries in December, basically. Um, so those would be my my concerns. I mean, it's quite rare to meet somebody who who really does seem at their core to think, yeah, let's take let's take a flamethrower to planet Earth. Let us scorch our let's burn down our house. Um, but there's plenty of people who say, I'm going to burn down those people's houses over there so I can plant some crops and and grow some strawberries in December. It's up to leaders, governments and the law to try and put the framework in place that, that prevents that. And I think for too long, uh, we've basically ended up with structures and leaders who think short term and just end up giving us what we really want rather than being the sort of leaders who are prepared to take the punch bowl away at the party and say, you'll need to calm down, stop eating the bloody strawberries in, in December, stop burning the planet down, and, and pass some serious laws that help us to live more sustainably. I mean, it's a huge criticism I would have personally of institutions like the European Union, um, but national governments as well, which have known for decades how we're annihilating life on this planet and have still not passed adequately strident strong laws saying that we need to import grow manufacture live more sustainably for the future and i think that's an absolute crying shame so love and faith in us but um anger annoyance and blind impotent fury at some of the um rules governments that we do or don't have mm, and it's so easy to hide behind isn't it as an individual in those, in those positions of power. Yeah, and it's also quite easy, I think, for us to start buying into a narrative where it's up to um, well-meaning people to not get a plastic bag at the checkout. Now, for me, yeah, that is the sort of um, I wonder if we, I wonder if that's the sort of evil megacorp lobbying groups and advertising agencies behind that because it sort of transfers the responsibility onto 
onto nice folk who are already trying to do the right thing. Mm. When in fact, what we yeah. need is the law to say, of course you can't mm. keep producing hundreds of millions of tons of plastic to pour into the oceans. Of course, that is completely ridiculous and 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 damaging for the future. So, you know, I, I think, I mean, what you're saying about what you were saying, Sophie, about how we need people to not be eating the strawberries in December. Yes. But I think we also more than even that we need well-placed lawyers to draft some legislation and us yeah. to get behind it and support it that says we're not going to allow it because it's mad. Mm. I'll stop. That's true. It, pl- it places the ah. emphasis on education because it almost makes being sustainable and making good choices available to those only who have bothered to learn about the consequences and who can afford the seasonal alternatives. So it makes it a privilege yeah. again. It's a case of it, it, it's divisive, if anything. Yeah. Um, Simon, other than beavers, of course, what fills you with hope? Um, why do you, what makes you want to continue telling these stories and meeting the people that you do? Um, I think it is us. I think I still really love us. I'm not somebody who's come back from all these journeys and rubs their hands in glee about the annihilation of human beings, but you know potentially is is not that far in the distance if as a civilization if we don't sort our stuff out. You know, I'm. I love us. Uh, I think we're brilliant. I think we are the most beavers aside. I think we're <laughs> the most wonderful uh, and fascinating creature that's ever existed on this, you know, planet in 4.6 flipping billion years. It's not a bad thing, and I want us to survive and 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 thrive and and live successfully. And I don't think we're on the right track at the moment. But I meet an enormous number of people who are campaigning and agitating and fighting if you like risking their necks sometimes to do the right thing and they give me immense hope i worry how close we'll get to a cliff edge before we before we turn before we change and i worry even more that we might not but i think that um we give me faith and hope and i think what the hell alternative is there you know i i what do we do do we just we just do we just give up I don't think we can. I don't think we should. And I like the battle. I like the idea of fighting for something that matters and is important. And I think for a lot of us, we lack, um, a lot of people, particularly in the sort of pampered West, if you like, lack purpose and meaning in their life. And I think battling and, and campaigning in whatever small way for Mother Nature and wildlife the climate and the planet is a incredible cause to Mm. get behind that offers real meaning for our existence and real tangible rewards and the chance to meet people who are flipping nice what is not to like about that (laughs) Mm, absolutely the only thing you're not allowed to feel is despair (laughs) no if you do i would suggest you know go meet people who are like that i would just try and channel that Mm. into anger fire in the belly (laughs) yeah which leads perfectly onto our one one of our final questions. Um, David Attenborough recently gave a very valuable and succinct piece of advice to the human race, which was "Don't waste," and you can apply it to anything. Um, with so many people now engaging on climate and ecology, plus some for the first time, um, they might feel overwhelmed where to start. What would your advice be for anyone wanting to make a make a positive impact 
in their life and to the planet, but unsure where they might start. You could could have given me a bit of warning about that. (laughs) (laughs) What's your advice? Go. Well, yeah, but it's not just that. It's referencing David Attenborough. (laughs) He gave a brilliant and succinct bit of advice. Goodness me. Um, And what did he say? Don't waste. Yeah. Give one bit of advice. Finish the sentence. (laughs) It's all so pat, isn't it? There's so much that needs to be done. Don't waste a moment, I suppose. Oh, that's nice. Well, I'm just building on what he said, if you like what he said. Um, Smart (laughs) man. Do what you can. Do what you can, I think. Um, do it and do it today don't put it off don't wait don't think uh, you know I can leave it to somebody else be the change that you want to be think long term as well I think that's I suppose what I my pompous pretentious little suggestion for us as a species no less we need to be thinking much more long term we are burning all our candles at the same time at the moment and it's totally mad and you know one worry i do have about the pandemic is that we might start getting into a mindset that oh the scientists are going to save us with the vaccine the scientists Mm. will save us with from from the climate catastrophe the climate catastrophe is such a more nuanced enormous massive problem it is not a tiny micron of a of a virus that would if it was all collected around the planet still fit on a on a flipping table teaspoon even i've heard so we cannot rely on science to to save us we have got to be the change we have got to encourage require and vote for the change what would my one bit of advice vote Mm, punchy yeah if you if you wanted punchy but Thank you. buy the right <laughs> vote as well. Vote for the right people, um, because that's your. Those are your two principal powers in a capitalist consumer democracy. You know how you vote and how you spend your dosh. Frankly, um, a lot of the other stuff is is controlled. But unless, of course, you're an environmental rights lawyer, and then you need to rally a group and get the crime of ecocide on the books. For goodness' sake. Yeah. Good one. Very good. Thank you. Um, one last thing, Simon, your book, Step by Step, I've bought for my dad for Christmas, who's a big fan and watched all your shows back to back during lockdown. Can you tell us a bit more about it? And where well, that's can very people sp- buy That wasn't it? a condition of this chat, was it? This sounds like no, the most not at all. Uh, outrageous plug, <laughs> but I don't remember. I would certainly not have asked that. We didn't forewarn you about the David Attenborough thing, so, you know, there's a positive one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my little book is my little story, really. It's just my my life. Um, uh, Starting out, getting going, uh, the endless hurdles, um, failing miserably. Uh, I had quite a struggle when I started out in life. You know, I don't don't come from a... um, a uh, sort of wealthy, travelly background of um, of privilege, I would say, which is often the assumption about somebody on the telly, and particularly me, I suppose, who've got too much hair. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I sort of flunked out of school with, I think, sort of, I did flunk out of school with uh, without any proper qualifications, and um, I was a bit hopeless and pathetic and lost and I sank quite a long way and had lots of mental health problems in my teenage years and I was on the dole for quite a long time and then 
I got a job as a postboy on a newspaper eventually, and that was my sort of start in life. So it's it's my little story behind that. And um, uh, and then I went on to work in investigations, and I wrote books on terrorism, and I had a few adventures and experiences, and then I started making tele programs, and it's the story of those adventures, that journey, and my own little path I've taken in in life, really, and where it went wrong, and where it was marginally successful i suppose thank you for asking that that's okay well we can't i'll send you the money all right (laughs) no honestly can't wait to read it it does look really really good it's been an absolute treat for us to have you on this so thank you thank you for having me on and thank you for trying to battle and campaign so brilliantly and successfully now to make it a better country frankly by encouraging the return of beavers in in not just single figures but in large proper numbers what an absolute legend he is that was so great to hear simon's perspective on climate and all his passion while Mm -hmm. we're talking about climate and our listeners can hear that i'm really really thrilled that came through it's such a shame we couldn't all sit down over a cuppa in person, yeah. um, but nice to do this on Zoom and we'll just have to find another excuse to chat beavers um, once we're all able to meet up again. We will, we will. And for more from Simon, of course, you can buy his book, Step by Step, The Life in My Journeys, from your local independent bookstore, or you can catch his recent BBC series, Cornwall, with Simon Reeve on iPlayer. And of course, there you'll see Beavers and Chris and Cornwall Beaver Project in their full glory in episode two. Yeah, highly recommend it. Right. Favourite time, Eva. Quiz time. Yes. So excited. I hope you're ready for our second regular feature of the podcast. It's my turn, thank goodness, to be Quizmaster. And boy, have I got three questions for you. Crackers. Okay, hit me with them. (laughs) Okay, so I've gone, um, uh, well, I've got quite a good theme, really. Um, It's the new year, 2021, and new year means new beginnings. So that's the theme of this week's quiz. And um, it might be quite hard, but we'll see how we go, shall we? So um, question one, what do you call a baby hare, as in the rabbit hare? What are they called? Oh, I think they're called a leveret. Yes, they are. Well done. Very good. One point. Question two, another name. For a baby swan. So we know that baby swans can be called cygnets, but they do have another name. And I can give you a clue if you like. I'm probably going to need that clue. Christ, okay. A baby swan. So it a rhymes. We know that, that beavers um, can have a tail slap. And we, the Beaver Trust, our WhatsApp group is called the Slappers. And it rhymes with slapper. Another name for a baby swan. Flapper. Yes! Flapper! <laughs> so next time you're out for a lovely uh, meander down the canal, you'll see lots of flappers. That's a scientific term, perhaps. Don't quote me. It might just be anecdotal. Anyway, two out, of, love it. two out of three so far. Doing well. What is the name, final question, of a baby shark? Baby shark. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Don't start. Um, <laughs> baby shark. Oh, now you've thrown me. Have a punt. 
A whale's baby is a calf, isn't it? Could yeah. It be a calf? It's not going to be a calf, though, is it? For no. a shark. No, it's definitely not a calf. No. no. I have no idea. I have no idea. Okay, um, a baby shark is called a pup. Oh, do you know I nearly said pup? You've always got to say it. Oh. Too slow. Wait. Epic. Two out of three, Epic. though. New beginnings. New Love beginnings. That. New year, new beginnings. We'll see about Little that. Little pup. Little <laughs> pup. Sweet. Yeah. Very good. Well done. Three out of three. So, um, no, Thanks. sorry. Sorry. Two out of three. Sorry. I'm giving points away there. Three out of three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Sure. Anyway, um, that was fun. That was fun. Thank you, Sophie. Um, before Welcome. we go... This episode has been all about climate change. I thought we could do a nice wrap up um, with a few ideas about what we do to help tackle climate change. So do you want to kick us off with a top tip for listeners? Um, okay, so one of the ones that I enjoy challenging myself with is really questioning whether I need to take the car. Can I walk there? Can I cycle there? Can I get public transport there? It's a really, really easy way to just reduce your carbon emissions and make it more about the journey and not the destination, as cliche and as that sounds. Often boost your health. Yeah, Boost really your health, nice. get outside. That's very cool. All that sort of stuff. Okay, I like it. What Hope about you? you guys out there like that too. Uh, well, mine is um, inspired by a sort of climate circle I've been holding recently. And there's a lot of... Um, People feel, as I said at the beginning, overwhelmed by climate change. And so my advice is just if you've got an idea, just start doing it. Have a nice. go. And don't be afraid of not getting it perfect. But we all need to do a little bit more than we're doing. So whatever your idea is, start it. Love it. That's really nice. That's all we've got time for in this episode of the Lodgecast by the Beaver Trust. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this on. And leave us a five-star review and tell all your friends about it. And a huge thank you once again to Simon Reeve for joining us. We loved chatting with him and hearing all about his passion for beavers and climate change and everything else. Now, you can also enjoy more from us and let us know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes on our social media. So head over to Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Find us at Beaver Trust or visit our website, beavertrust.org. This podcast, as always, is a mixture of fact and opinion. It was hosted by Sophie Pavel and Eva Bishop. It was produced and edited by Emma Brisdian for Beaver Trust. 